Join me as I read the scripture from today, Daniel chapter 2, 46 through 3, 7. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and paid homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering and incense be offered up to him. The king answered and said to Daniel, Truly your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. Daniel made a request of the king, and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel remained at the king's court. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth six cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshiped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just offer up all of our praises and worship to you on this beautiful Sunday morning as we come together in your house. We pray that you, your words and your teaching flow out of Pastor Grant's mouth and that we have open ears and heart to hear them and that as he unpacks the meaning of this uh, specific passage of scripture, that we will be able to receive it and learn from it and then apply it. Please bless this time together. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a seat. If you volunteered to read the scripture for us on Sunday morning, we promise not to make all those weird words your first Sunday. Very grateful, Carol, for your skill in leading us in this reading of the scripture today. What a, I mean, what a, what a story this is turning into, the book of Daniel. But before we jump in to think about Nebuchadnezzar's story and, and the events of, you know, that surround Daniel, I'd like to remind you of, of one of the parables that's in all three of the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. If it's in all three of those, you know that this was, I bet the, the disciples heard Jesus tell this parable several times. This was one of the things that I'm sure Jesus 
um, it was a, a linchpin of his, his preaching. And you know this parable well, the parable of the four soils, that at the heart of this parable is good information, that there's a seed that is good. The seed is good. And, you know, a lot of times we apply that to the gospel itself, the, 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 the idea that Jesus died or the truth that Jesus died and rose again. But really, I think in Jesus' teaching, it's any good word from God, the, the, a good, good instruction, a piece of good information that you could build your life on. And that same seed can fall on different kinds of hearts. And some of the hearts are in one ear and out the other. And never there's really no response to that good seed um, in, in general. If you're looking for good examples of that, you can open up any social media. Just no conversation, just, soil, just hard soil, hard soil, hard soil. Um, then there's, there's this good soil at the other end that's... Um, you know, where not only is, is the, the seed, the word, the, the good information taken seriously, but, but it is applied to a life over time. It's a growing thing. It starts small. It grows, it grows, it grows, and, and then it bears a lot of fruit. This is the intention of the seed always was to bear fruit. And fruit sometimes looks like other people coming to Christ, but, but fruit also sometimes looks like the ability to endure and grow and mature and have peace and joy despite the troubles in life. This is great fruit of the gospel, love, joy, peace. And then there are these other two soils, and, and one of them is uh, malnourished. You know, it, it's the, the seed goes in, but it's in rocky soil, and it just didn't have enough, um, uh, enough good soil in there, and, and so it sprouts up quickly, just doesn't have the endurance and dies away. And then there's this other seed that I think we all need to pay a lot of attention to, and that's the seed among the weeds. And it grows up, and you remember the punchline to that part of the parable, that what got in this seed's way? The reason this seed never got to maturity, never got to, to bear fruit. It wasn't, the, it wasn't the seed. The seed was good. But it was that the desire for wealth and the cares of this world choked the seed out. I remind you of that parable because in our story, you know, we've kind of taken a Nebuchadnezzar-based approach to this book so far. Um, probably your Bible says something about, in this section, says something about Daniel being promoted. And we'll talk about that. I think that that's right, and Daniel's faithful, and God shows him favor, and all that's true. But really, the story that Carol just read us was the story that happened right after Nebuchadnezzar had been given an incredible seed, like information that could have, should have changed his life. And there's actually debate on whether or not it did. There are some commentators, and we'll get to this as we go, but some commentators read the last part of, of Daniel chapter 2, and they go, this is a changed man. Nebuchadnezzar is acknowledging Daniel's God, and he's giving praise, and that's true. The seed has been good. Something has sprouted. But I think this is a passage that is wounded by where somebody in the 13th century decided to put the breaks in the chapters. And I want to look at, we get to evaluate. He's long gone and, you know, um, we don't have to feel judgmental judging Nebuchadnezzar. But I think we would do well to say what actually happened in Nebuchadnezzar's heart and did his life bear evidence of real change? Or is this a seed that never grew to maturity? 
And although it'd be fun to spend the next 30 minutes just picking on somebody who's been dead for 2,800 years, maybe we should also say, are there ways that we too can have a perspective where we live from new sprout to new sprout, but actually don't see God's word mature to, mature, to maturity, to fruitfulness in our lives as well. You remember the seed that Nebuchadnezzar was given. He was given the picture of a statue and a stone. It was a dream he had. Nobody could interpret the dream. Nobody could tell him what the dream was. Finally, Daniel um, was able to, and we took three weeks to preach through that. But it was a picture of a statue. And you remember last week that the statue is, uh, is a picture of a man, and it's, it's gold, silver, bronze, and iron with iron and clay feet. And Nebuchadnezzar is told that, Nebuchadnezzar, you're the golden head of this statue. Your kingdom really is amazing. Like, you really have been given a lot to steward, Neb. Like, like, you really are the man now. What's going to make a difference is how you steward this stuff that God has given you. Nebuchadnezzar, Babylon is going to fall. And every subsequent earthly kingdom is going to fall. Every uh, kingdom will have its strengths. Some are strong as iron. Some are as utilitarian as bronze, some are as beautiful as gold. They'll all have their strengths, but they will all have an end. And the statue is a good picture of succession of earthly kingdoms. If you are in any position where power on earth means anything to you, it's good to remember this statue. Kingdoms come and go. Remember, we talked last week about how this was a very vibrant picture of earthly kingdoms. It even looks like a human. It looks like a man. It's made of precious and useful man-developed things. Men refined gold and silver and men, you know, crafted bronze into weapons and useful things and, and, and iron into, into weapons and building materials and clay into pots. All things that, that have been crafted by humans. But at some point, not only will the individual parts of the statue fall, but the entire statue system, the entire system of human power, human glory, will come to an end. And it's going to start with this stone. So there's the picture of the statue, and then there was this picture of a stone. When the illusion that power, that might, that gold, that these are the paths to peace, these are the paths to joy, when all that is destroyed, a brand new kind of kingdom will come. We'll overtake all those earthly kingdoms. And it was embodied by the image of the stone. You remember we talked about the stone. The stone is, is not made by human hands. It's divine. A man is not going to be the one who establishes the kingdom of God on earth. Hey guys, a man is not going to be the one who establishes the kingdom of God on earth. That's just true. Um, Number two, it, it destroyed not just the place where it hit. You remember that the stone in Nebuchadnezzar's dream hit the feet of the statue. But it didn't just destroy the feet. It destroyed the whole thing. So it starts with, we, we uh, talked a lot last week, it starts with the Roman Empire when Jesus showed up. But it wasn't just the Roman Empire that Jesus brought it into. Rather, it was the whole human uh, idea of power and wealth and structure. 
And then also, it's important to remember that this rock grows. So did Jesus establish the kingdom of God, this eternal kingdom with him as the king in, um, uh, in the time of the Roman Empire? Yes, yeah, absolutely. Is that in its fullness even now? No, it's still growing, which is a beautiful picture. I didn't spend enough time uh, talking about this last week, but I had some good conversations in the quad after, and isn't it amazing? You start with this mountain of God, and the rock breaks off and destroys all the earthly kingdoms and grows into the mountain of God. <laughs> like, God will have his way. Mountain to mountain, all God's doing. Beautiful picture of God's sovereignty and power. Well, what is Nebuchadnezzar going to do with this? He's been given an incredible seed, an incredible piece of information. I don't know how your life could be the same after being told something like that. He, and remember, this dream had troubled him. This meant something to him. And so he's been given the truth. What will it bear in his life? This seed certainly requires action. So today we get to look at how Nebuchadnezzar responded, how he stewarded this knowledge. He has a real chance here. Like, I, you know, I'm, I'm not a fatalist. I don't think this is the only way it could have happened. I think Nebuchadnezzar had a chance. I think he could have humbled himself right there. He could have said, you know, up to this point, I've been a statue guy. My whole life has been gold and power and conquering and conquering other empires and making sure nobody conquers mine. I am a statue guy. Like, I'm even the head of the statue. I'm not a statue guy. I'm the statue guy. But this reality that Daniel's just told me about, it sounds right. I do see how my kingdom will come to an end. Like, I'm not eternal. I'm going to die. And I've never met in a kingdom that didn't eventually come to an end. And all of these kingdoms turning to dust and being replaced by a kingdom that was created without human hands, a divine, eternal kingdom. I've been a statue guy my whole life, but I'm going to be a stone guy from now on. I'm going to live my life not for my power, but I'm going to say, Daniel, would you introduce me to this God of yours? Would you help me to learn how to live according to his ways? What will grow? And like I said, there's a couple different opinions. Some people go, yes, this is conversion. Other people go, not so fast. Let's decide. Let's just spend the next few minutes judging Nebuchadnezzar. So start with verse 46. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face and paid homage to Daniel. Are you worried already? Do we pay homage to people? No, we don't. I mean, we do, but we should not. He fell on his face and paid homage to Daniel and, command, and commanded that an offering, an incense, be offered up to him. You know, Romans 1 has this line about what happens when people are in folly is that we worship the created instead of the creator. And that's exactly what Nebuchadnezzar's doing. He's been a statue guy his whole life. This is just how you do it. So Daniel gives him this information and instead of rending his clothes, instead of repenting, no, he bows down and pays homage to Daniel, which in and of itself is an incredible for the guy who's the most powerful guy in the known world to prostrate himself in front of uh, this Jewish exile was quite a scene. But is it enough? 
Is it the right scene? Of course, there's a place for honoring leaders and, and acknowledging people that God has used in our lives. I don't think Daniel should be cast aside, but do we fall on our faces and pay homage to people? This word translated, one of the reasons commentators disagree on this, is this word translated homage isn't the same word for worship. It's not that he was worshiping Daniel as a god, so maybe what Nebuchadnezzar is doing is simply thanking Daniel. Well, how would we know that? How would we know what's in Nebuchadnezzar's heart? That's not rhetorical, like don't yell it out. But, but how do you know? You know by what he does in the future. Our kids just came back from camp. You ever go to church camp? It's an amazing thing. Go to, I mean, it's, great. it's a great experience. I don't know if anybody's ever been away at, at, a, at a spiritual retreat for a week and not come back going, oh, I've got some things to think about. How will we know? if that changed people's lives. Well, we'll see how they grow in the future. Many times we can hear a podcast or read a book or, or hear a sermon or have a conversation and go, wow, God really used that in my life. Like, thank, thank goodness for this person, for this ministry. How do we know if it changed you? Well, we might not for years. It's going to be how did you live your life in light of that information? Our hearts are revealed by our future actions. Our hearts are revealed by our future actions. So, then Nebuchadnezzar says something that is absolutely the truth. Truly, your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries. You even see some like, I don't know if it's humility, but you see some understanding. Nebuchadnezzar is the king. He said like, oh, your God must be even over people like me. That's an incredible thing for Nebuchadnezzar to say. This is absolutely true, but it's not the entire truth. And in fact, I think it's a truth that we could get sucked into. On one hand, you go, listen to Nebuchadnezzar, man. He sounds like a believer. These are, things that, these are things that Christians would say. These are things that a faithful Jew would say. But I feel like we live in a time now where we are particularly susceptible to the same kind of mistake that Nebuchadnezzar makes. In fact, we lack this understanding so much that we can look at Nebuchadnezzar's words here and go, I think this is a conversion story. After all, he says a bunch of stuff that rings true about God, and indeed he has learned some important things. After all, doesn't Romans say that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that you will be saved? Isn't that what Nebuchadnezzar is doing? Good things are coming out of his mouth. I'm sure in the moment he means it. But that line in Romans is fairly misunderstood. And I see two problems with Nebuchadnezzar's with, this scene, with Nebuchadnezzar's heart in this scene. First of all, and hear me, re repentance requires repentance. That what I don't see in Nebuchadnezzar is repentance. He's grateful. He has learned some things about God. But learning about God never saved you. 
It is not an accumulation of knowledge about the divine that gives us a relationship with the divine. Rather, it is not until we go, woe is me, I am a man of unclean lips, I live among a people of unclean lips. It's not until we go, oh man, in all of my striving, everything is filthy rags. I need a savior. Not just a degree in religious studies. It's great to know something about God. The more you know, the better. We should all be scholars. But salvation doesn't begin until we see our own depravity. And depravity gets defined a couple of different ways. Let's define it like this, our complete lostness. Until you say, I, in and of my own strength, cannot find my way to God. I cannot be good. I can certainly be good. You can do good things. But look, in my teenage heart, when I was trying to figure out if this faith that I grew up in was the faith I wanted to live my life in, one thing struck me over and over again is that not only could I not live up to God's standards, I couldn't live up to my standards. Like if I was to outline, this is the grant that I think grant should be, I couldn't do it. I didn't just let God down. If there was a God, I kept letting myself down. And it's not until you realize, I am totally lost. Now, I'm a better version of lost than that guy, maybe. He's on all, he's doing all the varsity sins. My sins are mostly just inside and failure. But what Nebuchadnezzar doesn't come to, as he's faced with the truth of the might of the God of heaven, is he doesn't come to repentance. Belief without repentance is flawed. Repentance without belief won't work either. Repentance without belief, just the, that's just behavior modification. You know, the, what it means to live a life with God doesn't mean just getting your act together. In fact, I'm always fond of saying, you don't get your act together and come to Christ. You come to Christ and then you just come to Christ and, and he'll help you get your act together. But the reverse doesn't work either. Belief without repentance. Yeah, I know all there is to know about God. Yeah, but have you repented? Have you come to see yourself as not enough? We live in a culture that really wants to convince you you're enough just like you are. And if what you mean by that is like worthy of God's love or whatever, then I'm all for You're made in the image of God and, and you, you know, we should tell every child they're important. That's great. But to look at somebody and go, you don't need a savior is not loving at all. Nebuchadnezzar has heard about his own greatness and he's heard about the God of heaven and it hasn't brought him to repentance. The other problem I think that Nebuchadnezzar's dealing with, and this at the very beginning doesn't sound like it might be our problem, but stick with me. Nebuchadnezzar's polytheistic. How, how hard is it to add another God? Right? I had a I had a, uh, a friend I worked with at the Village Church of Irvine. His name was Moti Motilal, and he was uh, Tamil uh, from India. And he told a story. I can't remember the details of the story, uh, but I remember the gist of it was that there was a, a crusade, like a, a you know a big evangelistic 
uh, movement um, in the probably in the 90s. That's when I knew Modi. And um, and the preacher on the first night had preached a sermon on Jesus as the light of the world. Jesus is the God of light. And and when he gave an altar call at the end, 100% of the crowded masses raised their hand to be converted to Christianity. And they were like, this is the most successful mission in the history of the world. And the next day, as they're interacting with people and going, hey, can we talk about discipleship? Can we talk about how you would grow in a relationship with Jesus? It became very clear to them that none of these people had become Christians, but that they hadn't changed at all. They didn't want to change anything about their lives. And it became clear as the week went on that they had just added Jesus as another one of their gods. You go, oh, people like that. Okay. (laughs) We're polytheistic too. We're too much past the age of enlightenment. We're, we're too enlightened thinkers to give them names of deities. But we worship celebrity. And we worship greed. And we worship family. We worship money. And it is pretty easy to go, Jesus, yes, I can assimilate Jesus into this life full of all of my priorities. Nebuchadnezzar is just able to say, the God of heaven seems great. Throw him on the God pile. And you and I can look and go, Jesus sounds amazing. I'll turn to him when I need him. There is one name under heaven and earth by which a man may be saved, and that name is Jesus. And I don't know where you are with not just knowing about Jesus and not just adding Jesus to part of your personal philosophy, but dying to yourself and making your whole life about relationship with Jesus. But that's the beginning of salvation. I need a savior. All this statue stuff, all this, but education and hard work and and look at the career I've built and look at this beautiful family. It's nothing before God. Until I say, no, I I can't. I let myself down. There is sin in me. I need a Savior. So then in verse 48, um, Daniel gets a promotion. And this is one of those things. I must be turning into a cantankerous old man because... I read all the commentators and they're like, see, Daniel gets promoted and Ghana is honoring Daniel and that's awesome. And I go, okay, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I'm not, I'm not anti that. Um, but also, what just happened is Daniel said, Nebuchadnezzar, what you need to know is this whole system is going down. And then Nebuchadnezzar said, well, can I make you an official in this system? It's a total statue move. Instead of humbling himself before God, Nebuchadnezzar elevates Daniel. I even wonder if it's like, hey, this guy talks to the God of heaven. He wouldn't be bad to have on my side. Let's let's put him in the council. And to be fair, he had promised to elevate whoever had revealed the dream. But you remember Daniel had said, I'm not interested in that stuff. But there is a God in heaven. Daniel, can you interpret this dream? No, but there is a God in heaven who can. But doesn't this demonstrate that Nebuchadnezzar just doesn't really understand the point of the dream? Nebuchadnezzar 
Kingdoms built on wealth and power are fragile. Kingdoms built on wealth and power are temporary. They won't last. And he processes that and goes, great, as a reward, can I give you wealth and power? We might think of it like this. It isn't big donations or fancy buildings that save us. It isn't TV time or a popular podcast. It isn't selling books. It isn't being at the head of the table, being acknowledged as the, the you know, spiritual guy in the room. It's not being the CEO. It's not winning the nice guy of the year of the award. It is when we rend our hearts and follow Jesus and Jesus alone. It's pretty easy to, with our mouths, say um, something like, you know, in Christianity, money and power don't mean anything. Rather, we're all servants and servant-hearted people, and we believe in servant-hearted leadership and all that, and then still to be most impressed by the guy that has the most earthly success. I don't think Nebuchadnezzar has changed. Having said that, there is something as we see the, and this is a whole nother sermon. I'm just going to take a minute here, but, but this could be a whole, nother, a whole nother sermon. Through the nation of Israel, God had promised to be a blessing to the nations. And the nation of Israel had been so sinful that they had gone into exile. And God still, in his sovereignty, has found a way to be a blessing to the nations. Daniel made a request of the king and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. Like the province of Babylon, the capital of the world, now has leaders that refused to take the food from the king's table. You know how next week's sermon goes, right? They're going to refuse to bow down to the statue. Men of integrity. So while Daniel... I don't think is in it for the prestige or position. He does use that position to be a blessing to the nations. I'm very confident that Daniel, in his integrity, didn't desire power, didn't desire influence. However, you and I still live in the world. And this is the balancing act of the book of Daniel. Nebuchadnezzar should reject wealth and power. And yet, as Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego find themselves in places of power, they do good things with it. We still live in the world. Somehow, we have to be people who reject the idea that wealth and power are the means to the good life, that wealth and power are the things that matter, and still be in our positions, blessing the world in Jesus' name. It's not a call to head for the hills and be monks and nuns. Rather, it's a call to say, where has God allowed me to be? And how can I use this position to be a blessing to the nations? So then there's this large chunk of Scripture that I feel bad for making Carol read. 
Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold. Now, one of the things we have to think about is, is the time between. There's a reason there's a section break here, and this goes to the next chapter. Some ancient manuscripts, not the most reliable ones, but some ancient manuscripts say that this is in the eighth or ninth year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign. So if, if, the, if um, uh, Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had been exiled in the first year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, you could think about, and then it was three years in training. So maybe the, the thing with the dream and the statue dream happens at maybe year three. So now it's been five years or so since that. And I wonder if Nebuchadnezzar's still been thinking about that. And this statue that got built, the gold one out in the plains of Dura, we'll talk more about it next week, that didn't happen overnight. I mean, these projects took years in the ancient world. So it could very well be that this was a five-year project. And so it's about five years after last week's sermon that, um, that the, or, and, and this week's too, that the statue is completed and all of the officials come to bow down at it. But let's just um, reflect on some of the highlights and then we'll pick it up again next week. So in response to a, a dream about a statue with a golden head that symbolizes Nebuchadnezzar's rule that ultimately got, tur got turned into dust and replaced by this eternal reign of Christ, Nebuchadnezzar builds a golden statue. Nebuchadnezzar goes, I hear what you're saying, but hear me out. How about if we celebrate the fact that I'm the golden head and we build a big statue that looks like me, so everybody can bow down to it. A few observations. It's gold. This is Nebuchadnezzar. This is red, white, and blue. I think that's pretty right. This is the national thing of Babylon, is gold. It's a golden statue. It's huge. And the requirement is for the highest officials. Did you hear all those that, that Carol read? It's, it's officials from commerce, it's officials from government, and it's officials um, from religion. It's priests, it's heads of commerce and the economy, and it's heads of state that have to go. Do you remember the story about uh, uh, Napoleon being crowned Holy Roman Emperor, and at the time came for the Pope to put the crown on Napoleon's head? Napoleon grabbed the crown and put it on himself, like, I'm the only one, Jack, that can crown me Holy Roman Emperor. This is Nebuchadnezzar's move. And I don't know if it's fear or arrogance or hubris or what, but Nebuchadnezzar has been given a stern and beautiful warning. All this goes away, Neb. You need to find a different way to live. And in response, he doubles down on his kingdom and his glory and his power. Nebuchadnezzar is making a big statement. It's interesting, too, that as this... So if this is year 8 or 9, this is right around 586, 587 when the third wave of exiles are coming from Babylon and the temple in, in Jerusalem is finally being destroyed. So right about the same time the temple in Jerusalem is being destroyed because of Nebuchadnezzar's command, there's this statue to Nebuchadnezzar's glory that all of the leaders of various parts of society have to bow down to. Maybe Nebuchadnezzar's had a few years to think about it. Maybe the initial shock of his dream is worn off and he's finally back in 
full Babylonian power game. He's a statue guy, not a stone guy. And he's leaning in. And I think we have to think about that because we've all had times in our past. I mean, you've showed up here on a Sunday morning on the Monterey Peninsula on a sunny day. What are you doing here? (laughs) But you showed up because at some point there was a seed of truth that began to grow in your heart. And we need to be careful to not be like Nebuchadnezzar because in truth, the way of the stone, (laughs) making Jesus your rock, dying to yourself, it's not as fancy as the statue kingdoms. There's less cheering for you many times. There's less money. There's less power. There's more service. There's less people saying thank you. It's a life of servanthood. And sometimes we can have a moment where we think about the glories of heaven and we think about the sacrifice of the cross and we go, yes, I'm a Jesus guy. And then we can go in our workaday life and go, yeah, I'm also a this guy. I also want people cheering my name. I also want to build my kingdom. Nebuchadnezzar is a great example because he can do it. You know, like you probably are going to run into some obstacles if you want the whole world to come and bow down to you. Nebuchadnezzar can pull it off. But there are four soils. And one of those soils is the seed that lands in the weeds. And the cares of the world and the desire for wealth choke out the good seed. You cannot serve God and money. You must seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness and let God worry about all the rest of the stuff. There was a time when Nebuchadnezzar was overwhelmed by God's revealing power, but he has decided to build a monument to himself. And I guess I'll just leave you with the question and the thought that we all have to figure out what we're building. You a rock guy? You a die-to-yourself person? You one who, are you one who says, less of me and more of him? Less of me, less of me, less of me, more of him? Or has the initial joy that came with those moments of, of good seed being implanted in you, have they given way a little bit to, you know what, I'd also like to build my kingdom. I'd also kind of like the easy life here. The seed is good. Our job is just to be good dirt. Nebuchadnezzar understands that Daniel's God is the God of heaven. But at the end of the day, he just wants to build himself a kingdom where people worship him. I think we could all take a look at our own hearts and go, what is it I desire to build? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thanks for giving us the the chance to hear the story today. Thank you for your presence in our lives. God, thank you for those times when 
when you've been so real to us and we've been, you know, amazed at, at uh, your work and at who you are and where, our, where there's been like moments of change in our lives. And God, I pray that we would be those people who would not just live from mountaintop to mountaintop, but rather we would be those people who, who are dying to ourselves daily, who are good dirt, who let you work in our lives, who, who don't, like Nebuchadnezzar, wear down, like have good knowledge and yet still just build monuments to ourselves, Lord, but that we would be those who would humbly fall before you, say, God, I need a savior. Would you save me, please, and, and, and live lives in light of that? God, we're trusting you to, to save us. We need help in so many ways. And, and um, Lord, it's a scary thing to give up the idea that we're going to you know, build stuff in our own honor and we're just going to seek first your kingdom. That's scary. So I pray for courage and confidence and the ability to do that. And Lord, if there are things in our, in our lives that we need to repent of right now, if there's some folks in the room who just go, yeah, I've been building monuments to myself. I'm just, I'm about me and I need to knock it off, Lord, that this would be a moment of repentance. I love you, God. In Jesus' name, amen.